Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, considering this is, this is, you know, the weekend after Easter, historically, this is the least attended service of the year. And so I can share this with you. You all are the ones really going to heaven. Um, so congratulations. The rest of the slackers have some work to do. Um, and this morning we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called No, and it's going to focus on uh, 1 John, the book of 1 John. And here's the thing, uh, it actually will take you about 15, 16 minutes max to read 1 John from beginning to end. And what we're challenging you to do over these next five weeks is do that at least once a week. Once a week, just go through and read 1 John. will not take you very long, but before we get there. Now, um, I, when I was a kid... Uh, I, I fell in love with movies, and the, and the first experience that really drew me in uh, was Star Wars. Now, believe it or not, this will make some of you feel old. Next month, the first Star Wars movie turns 40 years old. Came out May 25th, 1977, and I was there. I conned uh, my 16-year-old brother's girlfriend into taking me to the movies that Friday night. I don't think my brother's forgiven me for that since. And I fell in love with it. And I had to wait three long years for the sequel. One of the greatest sequels ever made, The Empire Strikes Back. And I remember it was sold out. And I had to wait till Sunday afternoon after church. My mom took me to see The Empire Strikes Back on a Sunday afternoon. I was eight years old. And I went and I was watching. And you remember, there's no internet back then. So there are no spoilers. There's no, I mean, people weren't, you're walking in, you have no idea. What is going to happen? And I'm sitting there as an eight-year-old, and this happened. Useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I 
miss the 80s so much. I mean, it's just, it was the greatest decade ever, period. There's scientific studies to prove it. Um, I mean, you think about it. Heavy metal, heavy metal ruled. Clint Eastwood was mayor of a town in Carmel. Do you know what that means? In the 1980s, Dirty Harry had his own police force. And nobody was arguing on Facebook because the internet didn't exist. It was a glorious time to be alive. But you know, I remember sitting there watching that, and, and this, like, the entire theater was like, Whoa, nobody saw that coming. Nobody knew that. And I fell in love at that moment with twist endings. I love twist endings. I love for a movie to come along and there to be a twist ending. Now, twist endings in TV shows and in movies don't always go right. Now, again, you're going to have to have lived through the 80s to get this next trivia question. Play this theme song, and let me see how many of you can identify which TV show this theme song was from. How many of you know it? Raise your hand. Somebody say it. St. Elsewhere. It's the theme to St. Elsewhere. All right, you can That's right. That was the theme to St. Elsewhere. St. Elsewhere was a hospital drama on NBC, I believe. I didn't watch it that regularly, but I was more into like the A team at the time. But um, I, I remember it was on and, and and the, it, it was known for like breaking open like the careers of Mark Harmon and Denzel Washington. That's what made Denzel Washington a household name, if you remember that. And, but then when they canceled it, because it never had very good ratings, they only kept on there because it kept winning all these awards, but when they finally ended the last episode, this happened. Careful with that, son. Remember I told you that? I don't understand this autism thing, Pop. Here's my son. I talk to him. I don't even know if he can hear me. He sits there all day long in his own world, staring at that toy. What's he thinking about? All right, all right. Come on, son. Let's go wash our hands, all right? All right. Six years people watched this show to find out they've been watching the dreams of an autistic child staring at a snow globe all day. They were not happy. That did not go over well. Literally tens of thousands of calls and letters poured into NBC basically saying, are you kidding me? Here's the deal. Twist endings 
can go very well or very badly in pop culture. But twist endings in life are always bad. They are always bad, especially when it comes to ultimate reality. If you think you know who God is, who you are, what the future holds, and you're wrong, that is not a twist ending you want. Can we all agree on that? And here's the problem. According to a couple sociology professors at Baylor University, the average North American, and even the average North American Christian, does not know who God is. When they're asked to identify God, typically Americans identify four different gods. They, uh, these, they wrote a book about it. Uh, it's been about five or six years ago. America's Four Gods. And, and it says that some people see God as the authoritarian God. This is, this is, God is, he's here, he's judgmental, and he's not happy with any of you. Then, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there is the Santa Claus God. God just wants you to be happy, and he wants to do anything he can to make you happy. And he's just sitting there waiting for you to ask him so he can just rain down on you money and health and all that other kind of stuff. Then there is the God who made everything, then decided, ah, eh, let him have it. And he's just not even paying attention. And then there's the God who made everything and said, let him have it because I don't really like him. Now, those are the four most popular views of God in the United States. And none of them come from the Bible. None of them. Those are creations of people's imaginations. And here's what I'm going to really hit home this morning. If your God is a fantasy, your life will end in catastrophe. If it's not the real God, you're going to get a twist ending you do not like. And this is something we need to focus on from kids on up. A few years ago, I read the uh, biography of uh, Steve Jobs by a guy named Walter Isaacson. He said that Steve Jobs, when he was a little kid, read something in a magazine about starving children in, like, South America, I think it was. And he and his family attended a Lutheran church, and Jobs walked up to the pastor and said, why is God allowing this to happen? What's going on here? What am I missing? And the priest basically said something like, oh, kid, don't worry about things like that. Just have faith. And Steve Jobs, being Steve Jobs, said, yeah, I'm never coming back here again. And he did. And he checked out. Never became a Christian, as far as we know. That's a tragedy. That's not just a tragedy for that one soul, but that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for our entire culture that that kind of leader was, did not, somebody did not take the time to sit down and go, let's talk about this. Now, we're going to look at 1 John and see what it has to say about God this morning. So we'll look at 1 John 1, 1. We're going to run through 2, 3, short chapter. Throw it up there if you would, guys. Everybody can see it. Now, this is written by John the Apostle, one of, one of Jesus' closest uh, disciples, the one Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, talking about Jesus now, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. 
This we proclaim concerning the word of life, which means that eternal life. In other words, you have to know Jesus to know eternal life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. This is one of the reasons why. I'm going to stop right there just for a second. Keep that up there. This is important. There are all kinds of competing religions out there. And I get really disturbed when I meet people who call themselves Christians who say, but ah, it's just important you believe something. No, it's not. What do you mean believe something? You could believe that Bigfoot is God and the unicorns are his children. and they're dead. No, that's not going to get you anywhere. Believe something? And Christianity, you need to understand this. And if you want to talk about this afterwards, that, that's fine. Christianity is the only religion based in history and eyewitnesses. The only one. And you have to keep that in mind. One of the reasons we know we can trust the Bible is because the people who wrote it said, this is what I saw, and you can kill me if you want, but I can't deny it because of what I saw. We proclaim to you have seen, go back, go back, go back, go back, back. not finished with that yet. Verse 3 again, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us. Now, I hate that word, fellowship. That's a Christian word. I hate Christianese. Christianese is one of the reasons why we confuse people. We use a lot of words in church that we never use outside of church. You don't call somebody and say, hey, want to come fellowship? You go, hey, you want to come hang out? You want to get a cup of coffee? You don't go, hey, let's go fellowship today. You don't do that. Please stop using these terms. But all it just means is fellowship is, is, is what, it, what the Greek word behind that means is, is that we may be like one. We may be like a family. Part of, of how you know if your God is real and your view of God is real is one of the things that will happen to you is you will want to actually care for your fellow Christians. You'll want to help them if you can. Now, you can't always, but if you can, you'll just want to. That's part of what that word means. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, there again, can't stand that word joy. And I'll tell you why. Not because I'm against joy. I'm not anti-joy. All right? Please don't misquote me. What did the pastor say today? He hates joy. No, that's not what I'm saying. The problem is that Greek word really doesn't translate into joy. Most Greek scholars will tell you there really isn't an English word that really gets what the Greek is saying. The closest is thankfulness. It's really to live in thankfulness. It's to live a life where you are thankful that God created you because he didn't have to. God saved you because he didn't have to. And God's going to save you at the end of time and give you an eternal life. And he didn't have to do that either. And you live in thankfulness for that. Now, if you get that right, you'll quit getting mad at God all the time when he doesn't give you the little things, when he's already given you the big things. Make our thankfulness complete. This is the message we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Now, that means that if there is evil out there, God didn't do it. And there is evil out there. But it's not God's, God, God's fault. People come to me, why would God allow this to happen to me? Well, look, if you think that there's anywhere in Scripture you can go to where God says, hey, look, once you come to faith in me, it's a bed of roses, baby. 
it's going to be fine. You're never going to have a sick day in your life. You're never going to struggle to pay a bill. You're going right to the top of the corporate ladder. It's not there. We have trials now. We have a perfect life later. You need to keep that in mind. In him there's no darkness at all. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, if we are perpetually in sin but we say that we love God, we're lying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Now there it is. He's not saying that you'll never sin because we get, we get forgiveness from sin. The difference is, do you really want to stop sinning or not? Is the desire there? Do you have a desire to say, I don't want to do this anymore? And I'm going to try, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to strive, and I'm going to get help from others, or is it just, ah, I'll be forgiven. I'm not so sure about that, ah, I'll be forgiven stuff. Next. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There's that balancing act he's going to do. Walk in the light, but realize we have darkness within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means he's totally forgiven us. We are pure, clean again. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That says, Dad's talking about that we have an attorney. Jesus Christ is our defense lawyer. Which is pretty good. Better than anybody can get on a billboard. Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means not just for people who are Christians then, but for anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now again, he's come back earlier, so he's not saying we're going to keep him perfectly, but we're going to want to. And what he's going to say is, if we don't do that, if, we're not, if we don't want to do that, we don't know God yet. You really don't know who you are or who God is if you're continuing to walk in darkness and you have no desire to walk in the light. You, have, you don't know God yet and you don't know who you are. You don't know what kind of sinner you are, what sin is, how serious that is. You don't know how holy God is and how much it cost him to forgive you. You have not let that sink in yet. You don't know God yet. If you do know God, you are thankful, you live in thankfulness, and you have a desire to help others. But the problem is so many people I meet who call themselves Christians, I don't see that. I don't see it. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. That's not on God. That's on us. I remember when I was in law school uh, in upstate New York, had a buddy that was in a lot of my classes and study groups, and he was an atheist, New Jersey atheist, was a special kind of atheist. And we were sitting down after class one time, just having a cup of coffee, talking, and we were still, you know, it was first semester, we were just getting to know each other, and so he's like, well, you, you lived in Hollywood, and yeah, yeah, you know, who do I, I work for the guys who wrote most of the songs for Elvis, and, oh, man, my parents love Elvis, but then we started talking about that, he said, but you're also a pastor, I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, and we started talking about that, and he looked at me, at the end of that conversation about, when we talked about Elvis and Jesus, 
And he looked at me and he said, Matt, I like Elvis and Jesus. It's their fans I have a problem with. And he may be right. This is so widespread. John Calvin, who was a theologian hundreds of years ago, opened his magnum opus on theology, writing that all true wisdom begins with true knowledge of God and yourself. That if you don't know who God is, how holy, right, and perfect he is, and you don't know how sinful you are, how selfish you are, how much you deserve to be punished, if you don't understand those two things, the rest of your life is not going to make any sense. You're going to go off the rails. There was a theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, if you get on the wrong train, it doesn't matter how hard you run in the opposite direction. You're not going to get to where you need to get. And that's where we are. Now, I understand that one of the reasons people don't understand who God is is we've done a poor job of talking about him. We've done a poor job teaching about it, and we don't read our Bibles enough as well. This is why we don't really know who God is. And a lot of people struggle with this, and I know, but I, I've got a list here in your outline. Hello. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> tread carefully. I get it. Um, um, if I drop dead in a few seconds, oh. Um, just get up and go. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> it's fine. Go ahead. Go to Bob Evans in my honor. Um, anyway, um, here's how the Bible depicts God. A couple ways. There's lots here, but here are the main points. Number one, God is three, but also one. Now, I know that's confusing. God is presented as Father, Son, and Spirit. You can see this in Matthew. You can see this in John. You see this all over the Bible. But at the same time, it's very clear God is one. How is that possible? I have Muslim friends who say, Matt, I love you, but you can't do math. Father, Son, Spirit, three, not one. I ask him this. Ever seen a conjoined twin? Is that two or one? Is it? Physically, actually, in many ways, one. But in personality, two. And that's what the Bible teaches about God as well. I know it's mind-blowing. That's all right, but that's what it teaches. He is the creator of all things. This is very important. The reason you need to know that God is the creator of all things. There's two very important things to it. One, you own nothing. You're renting. Everything belongs to God. He made all of it. He allows you to use it for a while. That's it. Two, that means this is going to impact the way you view human life. Because if God is the creator of all things, that means even the unborn child in the womb is his and he has made it. And you need to keep that in mind. This is a big one. God, and specifically Jesus, is the only way to salvation. The only way. There is no other way to salvation except through Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. Because he said it. So either he's, as C.S. Lewis said, a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Now, you go read through the Gospels and you tell me which, which one it is. Because if he's Lord, he's telling the truth. He is the only way to salvation. 
God is love, 1 John 4, 8. But Deuteronomy 32, 4, God is also just. We like the first one. We don't like the second one. Because he loves you enough to extend an offer of salvation to you. But he's just enough that he's not going to force you into it. And if you choose to live your own life your way and turn your back on God, then you face the consequences. We may have to talk about hell some more here sometime. And I know people don't like to talk about hell. But going back to this, guess who talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible? Come on, you can do better than that. Who talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible? There you go. That is correct. Where does this love and justice meet? He made us. We rebel against him every time we sin, but at the same time he loves us. They meet at the cross. At the cross, what God did was say, okay, if you place your faith in my son, every wrong thing you've ever done will be paid for by my son on the cross. You can pay for your sins yourself, or Jesus can pay them for you. Those are the only two options. The only two options that the Bible presents. And again, if your God is not arising from the Bible, it's a fantasy God that you've created out of your own imagination. And if you think you're good at creating gods, if you think your imagination can be trusted, you think your opinion can be trusted, go back and look at your high school photos. You thought that haircut actually was cool. God is unchangeable. There's a popular teaching within some strands of Christianity today that God can change his mind and God may not even know the future. Ridiculous. If for no other reason this, the Bible says, one, God doesn't change. Number two, if God is perfect, how can the perfect change and remain perfect? Does that make any sense? God is the only God. We got a question a while back, a very good question, saying that sometimes the Bible looks as though it talks about other gods as if they exist. Well, there are parts in the Bible where prophets and others speak to those who believe in other gods that he meets them at their level. Even the Apostle Paul does that. But then they go on to state, that being said, there is only one God. You can look it up, Isaiah 45, 5. There is only one God. No other God exists. That's a very good question. Now, some people object. Say, oh, well, Matt, okay, that's your opinion. No, that's the Bible's opinion. I didn't write it. I do this all the time. I teach Bible classes and people get mad. Like, I did not write the thing. I am just literally telling you what it says. And again, I, this goes back, you've heard me tell this story before, but this is what happens. When created finite beings want to argue with an infinite all-knowing being, the label for that is stupid. I mean, you may not like it. That doesn't mean it's not true. Something may be true whether you believe it or not. I, I tell a story. It's like when my son, my son was like three years old. And if I saw him doing something he wasn't supposed to do, and I took him away, I told him, you can't do this. And he'd look at me like, why? And he didn't understand. And he was mad. And his favorite thing to then he'd get really mad, he'd start arguing with me, then I'd have to go put him in timeout, right? And I'd go pick him up, put him on his bed, so you got to sit there, you can't play with your toys, you sit there. And he'd get mad at me, and he'd 
pointing his face like hand like this, like he was like Harry Potter trying to stop me from doing something. And he like, if just force of will, he could stop me to do this. And then if that didn't work, he'd get mad and he'd say the nastiest thing he could think of, which poopy sack wiener. <laughs> now I said this before. If you want to sit there and go, I don't care what the Bible says, I think God is this. That is the equivalent of looking to heaven and going, poopy sack wiener. Now, I understand some people have a problem. One of the reasons why, uh, for example, um, the shack was so popular was because God is depicted as this non-judgmental, love everybody, make your pancakes in the morning, mama. And people like that. In fact, there is a movement within Christianity to refer, start referring to God instead of his father as mother because that's just so much nicer. The problem is God is the one who picked father for himself. Right? See? <laughs> that was an exclamation point! <laughs> ha! But I understand that some people, here's the problem, because I know a lot of, especially women, who had bad relationships with their father, so therefore they don't like to refer to God as father because that connotation has all kinds of nasty things to it. Here's what you need to understand. God the Father was not your abusive father, but a perfect father that you always wanted. And you need to work through that, and you need to get past that. I just, I'm finishing a book right now by one of the uh, co-creators of Pixar, a book called Creativity, Inc. And one of the things that he writes in there that just made me dead stop is he says this, your past should be your teacher, not your master. Let me say again, your past should be your teacher, not your master. And one of the reasons you may struggle with who God is is because you're struggling with a past that you need to deal with. Because it's got power over you. You're allowing it to have power over you. And you're allowing it to distort your picture of God so that you've created a fantasy God. And the problem is with a fantasy God is this. Number one, always remember this. Reality is your friend. Reality is always your friend. That's one. Number two is this. If you've created some kind of fantasy God, what do you have faith in? And if you don't have faith in the real God, that may be why you're one of those Christians that non-Christians just don't want to be around. Because the object of your faith and the depth of your faith will determine your daily attitude. It will. If your faith is in the one true God and you know that God is holy and perfect and right and you know that you are nothing like that, you are imperfect, you are stubborn and selfish and, and willful and, and carnal and all those other kind of things, and yet this God says, I'll pay the penalty for you. If that's not your God, you're not worshiping a true God. And if you haven't let that sink in, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a reason why out there in Christianity as a whole, there's so much to look and just cringe at. Like, I can't watch most TV preachers. I know some of you, I can't. It just makes me cringe to watch some of them. Because what they're saying is just fantasy. You're not getting it from the Bible. It's pure fantasy. 
One of the fastest growing websites in the world is a site run by Christians making fun of things people call Christian. It's called the Babylon Bee. Have you heard of it? Anybody heard of the Babylon Bee? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah. Now, this is run by Christians, but there's, they're making fun of stuff that, quite frankly, should be made fun of. Here's a headline from the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee is a fake newspaper that has these headlines. Here's one of them. Joel Osteen, this was on Groundhog Day. Joel Osteen sees own shadow, predicts another year of taking Bible out of context. <laughs> Ken Ham to star in a night at the Creation Museum. This is my favorite. Local couple has church visitor over without trying to sell her something. The article goes on and goes, I kept waiting for the essential oils, the Lulu Row. Where was it? It never came out. There's a reason why you can make fun of so much of Christianity today. It's not true Christianity because it's not based in the Bible. It's based in fantasy. It's based in imagination. It's based on what we want it to be. And it can't be that. It has to be the way God set it up to be. And we need to strive as best we can to know what that is, to live what that is, and to live in that such a way that what do we do? We want to care for each other and we live a life of thankfulness, as First John says. You don't have to be a theologian. I'm not saying you have to learn Greek and study all kinds of theology. I've known people with eighth grade educations who were just happy, loving Christians. You know why? They know the one true God. They get it. They get it. And that's what it takes. It's just what it takes. You may not like it. There's a lot in there I don't like. Look, I wish that prosperity gospel stuff was true. That would be awesome. I would have, trust me, I would not have been an atheist for 10 years if I believed becoming a Christian got me a Mercedes and a great job. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You go to places like Hebrews and it says, God has ordained some people to riches. I wish it would stop there. Then it goes, and he's ordained others to be thrown to lions. How often do you see some prosperity gospel on TV talking about that verse? Reality is your friend. You need to know the one true God, you need to know who you are in light of biblical truth. And if you're not getting it from the Bible, you're just making it up. And as much as I love you, most of you, <laughs> heard a pastor say one time, he said, you know, he really loves most of his people. He said, but if it's the body of Christ that he's loving, he said some of them are like the appendix. They don't really do anything, but they might blow up and kill us all. Um, <laughs> the, no, no, no. We love you. But, and so we want you to know the truth. And there's nothing wrong with questions. You may say, well, I don't get why that is. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about why that is. And we'll do our best to help you out. But you need to know the truth. You need to live in the truth. It makes all the difference in the world. I promise you. And it would make such an impact in this area. 
if the thousand or so people that come here every weekend would go out into Scioto and County and Greenup County and all that kind of stuff and, and they would be thankful people and people who just wanted to help other people, if all of us were that way, do you think things would be different in this area? I think so. I think they'd be a lot different. So that's up to you. And I understand it's a process. It's a process. You can look at some people, don't, don't, you know, if you're a happy Christian, don't look at some grumpy Christian and go, you know, oh, they just don't get it, I do, and start to get all self-righteous. I love C.S. Lewis's line. He said, the question about a grumpy Christian is not whether they're Christian. The question is how much grumpier they would be if they weren't a Christian. And so it's a process. It's a process. But, look, I understand. If we just wanted to fill seats and rake in money, the template's out there. Don't tell people what they don't want to hear. Tell them, all oh, they're all special little snowflakes. You know, all that kind of stuff. God, God's going to give you everything you want eventually. You can draw a crowd with that. You can draw a crowd to almost anything. That's, you can, I mean, goodness sakes, tens of thousands of people will go see the Cleveland Browns play this fall. That's not even a good product. <laughs> you can draw a crowd. The question is, what do you do? And it all begins with, are you thankful for what God has done for you? Do you want to help others? Because if not, you may call yourself a Christian, but you may not yet truly know with all your heart, soul, and mind who God is and who you are. And that's where you've got to begin. And you can begin today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people, and I thank you for your book of 1 John. I ask that you'll be with them as everyone here hopefully reads through it. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that everyone will just come to know you truly as you are, as you have revealed yourself in Scripture. And if they come to know truly how holy you are, if they come to truly know how sinful they are, and then... They become thankful and caring because they understand truly what a sacrifice you have made and what really matters. What really matters is knowing the truth, living in the truth, and having an eternal life with you. Fantasy is not our friend. Reality is our friend. And I hope and pray that no one here has a twist ending on Judgment Day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, before you go, because uh, we've got about five minutes before the kiddies will be done, so if you've got a kid back in promised land, take five minutes just to <sighs> relax and, you know, before, the, before the sound decimal go up. But a couple of things. One, I want you to know I mean, how much is going on here, how much. God has really blessed this church. You think about everything that we've done just over the last, like, six months. I mean, we, the Storm Bratchet blood drive is going to help hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Um, the Ain't Project Angel Tree. Literally, how many families had a Christmas this year because of what you guys did with Project Angel Tree? 
We're going to relaunch single parents. Fair to do. It's going to be a little different, but we're going to do something in the fall with oil changes and so forth. That costs a lot of money, but we're going to do it. We've got the track chair for a local veteran. We're going through a number of veterans are helping us find a worthy candidate. It has to be a combat vet. You know, all of a sudden we've done that. We've had other churches let, let them use this building to have installation, all the other kind of stuff. We're happy to do that. So many good things are going on at this church, but we need your help to make it hum. And I'm not just talking about money, though yeah, dad's not in here, otherwise he'd be screaming at me right now. But anyway, it's, it's not just money, it's your help too. You volunteer. If you can volunteer in any way, shape, or form, we'd love to have you do that. And for those of you who are volunteers, God bless you and keep you. You guys are the reason why so much can happen here. And I want you to remember, even with the kids, sometimes it just feels like holy babysitting. I want you to remember that Steve Jobs story. People's knowledge of God starts very early, and it relies heavily on what you guys do back there. All right, if you're new here, please be sure to stop by the newcomer's table and see Rick and Cindy back there. They have a gift for you. Hey, we're done. Go beat them Baptists at the restaurants. God bless you. God goes with you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.